שלום יואל. יחזקאל פרק ל"ז, פרק 37. יחזקאל is well known for his use of metaphors and elusive imagery, but this פרק includes his most famous allegory of all, the valley of the dry bones. The prophet sets the scene with an eye for the dramatic. הייתה אלי יד השם. The hand of Hashem was upon me and took me out by the Ruach Hashem. The word used, Ruach, will play a major role in what follows. Was this the wind of God, the spirit of God, or the breath of God? The word seems ambiguous to us today, but Yehezkel seems to have felt no need to explain its meaning. He seems to have assumed that his listeners would understand. And so we too must enter into his prophecy with a spirit of open-mindedness, readiness to understand his meaning, at least on the intuitive level. Yehezkel is shown a valley, perhaps the same valley as that shown in his earlier vision in Perek Hamesh. Knowing what is coming, it can be easy to pass over the horror of his experience. The Valley of Bones is a scene of mass slaughter. As far as the eye can see, there is nothing but death. But the prophet's eye is drawn to a seemingly clinical detail. The bones are very dry. The slaughter is long past. Whatever horrors this place witnessed, they are long ago. What remains is only the mute witness to atrocity, the bleached bones of the victims. Not even a living witness remains to tell what happened here. And it is here that Yehezkel's vision intersects our own age. We too know of atrocities with no surviving witnesses. But we're getting ahead of our story. Let us remain a while in Yehezkel's world. The voice of Hashem asks the prophet, Can these bones live again? Any normal person might say, No, of course not. Such a person would have evidence in their favor, after all. But Yehezkel keeps all options open. We can hear his open question when he answers, O oh Lord Hashem, only you know. This is practically an invitation for God to say, Right, hold my beer. And what follows does not disappoint. But one point of interest is that God describes what he is going to do before he does it, ending with the phrase, You shall know that I am Hashem. One of the earliest, perhaps the earliest, appearances of this phrase appears in Parashat Bishalach, when the Israelites are told to encamp near the Sea of Reeds. Moshe is told that things are approaching the last act. Quote, I will stiffen Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue that I may gain glory through Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am Hashem. What does it mean when we are told, then you'll know that I am Hashem? The name which we translate as Hashem, or the Eternal, is actually a conjugated verb. I will be what I will be. It seems to incorporate an element of, of the unpredictable, something outside of the natural course of things. In the case of the Israelites encamped by the Sea of Reeds, the natural course of things would be mass slaughter and re-enslavement by the Egyptian army, not the parting of the sea and the escape of the runaway slaves. In the case of Yehezkel vision, the natural way of things is the forgetfulness of time, The victims of atrocities are slowly forgotten, and whatever they strove to attain in their lifetimes is lost. Enslaved and scattered nations assimilate into the majority cultures of their exile, and their native cultures, languages, and religions are lost. 
It is when things do not follow the natural course that we are forced to take notice. The escaped slaves are not only not recaptured, but they go on to found a nation with laws far in advance of any of the surrounding nations. Then they will know that I am who I will be, as if to say not at all what you expect. Or when the exiled nation not only fails to disappear into assimilation, but re-emerges in the distant future as a great multitude unified under the rule of its iconic government, then they will know that I am who I will be. And so the prophet is told, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Not merely Yehuda, exiled in Babel, nor only Ephraim, exiled over a hundred years previously, but the whole house of Israel. They have long since despaired of redemption. Avda tikvatenu, they say. The echoes of our national anthem, now sung with the addition of two letters, cannot but send shivers up our spine. And here again is the echo of an action contrary to the natural. You shall know, O my people, that I am Hashem when I have opened your graves and lifted you out of your graves. I will put my breath into you, and you shall live again, and I will set you upon your own soil. Then you shall know that I, Hashem, have spoken and have acted, declares Hashem. Noteworthy, too, is the fact that opening the graves and reconstructing the physical bodies is not enough. Yechezkel will see and hear the bones coming together, clothed anew in sinews and skin. But miraculous enough as this is, it is not enough. Only when God manifests as who I will be, by breathing the spirit of life into the reconstituted bodies, will they truly live again. By analogy to our own age, we might say, as many Haredim do, that Building anew the body of national sovereignty, its institutions, its symbols, even its population, all this is not enough. What is needed is the Spirit of God who named himself, I will be what I will be. The Spirit that goes against the natural order. Only when imbued with this Spirit will the nation truly be reborn. But there is a further aspect. The second half of Yechezkel's vision is often taken as separate from the first, And yet, really, the two visions are one and the same. The prophet is told to take two sticks, one on which he is to write, For Yehuda and Bnei Israel allied with him, and the other for Yosef and the tree of Ephraim and the house of Israel allied with him. These two sticks are to be held together, symbolizing the eventual binding together of the two nations. Yehuda and Yosef have been two rival nations since the conception of the nation. Yechezkel is shown the end of the rivalry when both nations will become the house of Israel. Note that the word etz, which I've translated as stick, also means tree. The symbolism is heightened when we think of the two separate trees now growing together as one. The Talmud, Sanhedrin 92bet, records a whole discussion about whether Yechezkel's vision of the Valley of Bones was historical or or allegorical. And if it was historical, whose bones were these? The sages of the Talmud had their own horrific memories of mass slaughter, both recent and more distant. And so do we. In every age, the vision speaks to us of renewal and rebirth from the ashes. But in our own day, the metaphor seems more real than ever before. In fact, we've seen a degree of slaughter where not even bones were left. If ever there was a need for an act that goes against the natural order of things, 
It is following the Shoah. And yet we've seen not only the rebirth of a nation that refused to succumb to assimilation, but its language, laws, and cultural norms as well. More, we've seen the rebirth of memory, even in the absence of living witnesses. In my book, Returning, I explore one instance of such rebirth, a man who witnessed the death of his family and his own identity at Birkenau, and who nevertheless bequeathed his memory to the living. I would like to read one passage of the book. In 1942, 11-year-old Miriam invokes Yechezkel's vision as the reason she has decided to become a physician. I'm going to study medicine and open a clinic, she says. Ovadia smiled. He had been expecting this. His sister had recently played the lead role in her school play about Florence Nightingale, and she had learned far more about nursing and field medicine than anyone would ever want to know. Mary did not do things by halves. So who will you treat in your clinic, he asked, half humorously. Soldiers from the war going on in Europe? She shook her head. I'll tell you a secret. She lowered her voice conspiratorially. He leaned his head closer to listen. The two of them had been sharing secrets since Miri had been old enough to talk. You know the prophecy of the dry bones, the revival of the dead? Of course, it was the Haftarah two Shabbats ago. Well, they're going to come back wounded, and I'm going to open a clinic just for them. Ovadia was shocked. Miri, they aren't going to need healing. They'll come back whole and sound, ready to live in the golden age after the Mashiach. They won't need a clinic. No, think about it, Ovadia. Who are these people that Yechezkel the prophet saw? They were those who were killed in the battle for Yerushalayim. Maybe the ones who come back won't be the very same people. Maybe there'll be others in the same situation. People who died so the prophecy of redemption can come true. But still, they'll die wounded, and it will be our responsibility to heal them. We must bring them back to life. That is how we prove ourselves worthy of living in Eretz Israel again. Ovadia shook his head, though not in disagreement. It was hard to believe that his sister was only 11 years old. How could one so young see so far and know so much. Less than a year later, Miri was murdered in Birkenau. Her brother Ovadia died a year and a half later, having witnessed what he thought was the end of the Jewish people. And yet, despite leaving remains that Yechezkel himself would have needed DNA testing to identify, Ovadia was able to tell his story 70 years later in the reborn Jewish state. It would seem that those sages of the Talmud who weighed in on the side of Yechezkel's vision being real have al-malismoch. But Yechezkel doesn't just foresee national rebirth. He foresees national reunification under just laws, a nation cleansed of the abhorrent practices and dysfunctional norms that brought about its downfall. This cleansing will not necessarily be voluntary. Rather, Quote, I will save them where they have taken root, where they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, unquote. Nothing about this process is likely to be easy. But the end result still is hopeful. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. It would seem that lo avda tikvatenu.
clinic. No, think about it, Ovadia. Who are these people that Yeheskel the prophet saw? They were those who were killed in the battle for Yerushalayim. Maybe the ones who come back won't be the very same people. Maybe there'll be others in the same situation. People who died so the prophecy of redemption can come true. But still, they'll die wounded, and it will be our responsibility to heal them. We must bring them back to life. That is how we prove ourselves worthy of living in Eretz Israel again. Ovadia shook his head, though not in disagreement. It was hard to believe that his sister was only 11 years old. How could one so young see so far and know so much? Less than a year later, Miri was murdered in Birkendau. Her brother died half an, a year and a half later, having witnessed what he thought was the end of the Jewish people. Less than a year later, Miri was murdered in Birkenau. Her brother Ovadia died a year and a half later, having witnessed what he thought was the end of the Jewish people. And yet, despite leaving remains that Yechezkel himself would have needed DNA testing to identify, Ovadia was able to tell his story 70 years later in the reborn Jewish state. It would seem that those sages of the Talmud who weighed in on the side of Yechezkel's vision being real have al-malismoch. But Yechezkel doesn't just foresee national rebirth. He foresees national reunification under just laws, a nation cleansed of the abhorrent practices and dysfunctional norms that brought about its downfall. This cleansing 